1: From KQED in San Francisco, I'm Nina Kim. Coming up on Forum, how do you tell a memorable story? The producers of The Moth Radio Hour, the project that has made storytellers of thousands of people around the world for decades, have poured what they've learned about how to tell a good story and the foundations of a good story, things like truth and transformation, into a new book. We'll talk with one of the authors, and we want to hear from you. What do you think makes a good story? Tell us. After this news. This is Forum. I'm Mina Kim. We all are a multitude of stories, say the producers of The Moth. So how do we get those stories out of us and into the world in a way that makes others feel something and build connection and community for 25 years that's what the moth has been doing turning thousands of people around the world into storytellers and now they put what they've learned and experienced into a book called how to tell a story joining me now is one of the book's five authors kate tellers kate welcome to forum Thanks so much for having me. Wow, five storytellers writing a book (laughs) on storytelling. That sounds amazing and really hard. (laughs) You know, any
2: person that I know, any writer that I know, when we said we were doing this was like, how, why? But, uh, you know, we're an organization that's been built by a community. I mean, we are five of many people who have helped to shape the moth into what it is, and We've worked so closely together that it really felt like it had to be a team effort and it had to be us, you know, sort of together obsessively tweaking each other's language. Yeah. You know, it's five authors and 200 contributors. So um, we've really put a lot of hands on this book but it felt it feels very true to who the organization is.
1: Yeah, well, I bet there are a lot of moments uh, in that experience that could be turned into good <laughs> stories um, which actually reminds me of one of the rules of a moth story is that they do have to be lived experiences, that they they have to be true stories. Why is that so important?
2: Well, you know, I think it, it, the the truth ties to why we care. You know, we always say at the moth, people say, "Well, can can I make something up?" There, the, my my details aren't as important, as exciting as details that I could make up. But, you know, moth stories are about human connection. As human beings, we respond to seeing someone reveal a piece of themselves, something that they care about, to share that vulnerability, and that's going to come from sharing your emotional truth. You know, I don't care as much if you were wearing a red sweater or a green sweater and you can't remember, but I do care about you honestly telling me what you felt, You know your hopes, your fears, your wants, your dreams in the moments of the story that you're sharing with me. And making up something fantastical sort of loses that essential emotional connection.
1: Yeah. I love this line. We listen with different ears when we know mm. a story is True. I actually want to play a cut from a storyteller named David Montgomery. He's from Los Angeles, and uh, it's just the beginning of a story, and he's referencing a life-changing experience here.
3: But when I was 14 years old, I had a deeply meaningful experience, something so real, so raw, almost divine, that I knew it was going to shape who I was to become for the rest of my life. I saw the Spice Girls on MTV. (laughs)
1: I love David. Yeah. Well that that would really hit differently if it were made up and our whole investment and in what he's about to tell us about why the Spice Girls changed his life. Yeah. Another thing. You know- yeah, go right
2: Oh, I just was going to say, uh, you know, the, what, I, what I love about David's story is exactly that. And exactly what you're speaking to is that that's a funny romp to say like, oh, I, my life was changed when I saw a pop song. But for David, when you hear that story, that's actually 100% true. You know, it takes it from anecdote to true story and that his experience with the Spice Girls, and I won't, I won't cheat and give the story away, really is something that fundamentally changed him. And he was really emotionally connected to. And I think it's why his story has been so wildly popular, um, you know, since he first told it.
1: How do you figure out the best memories to turn into these compelling moth stories? Because, you know, seeing the Spice Girls on MTV might not at first strike you as the basis of an incredible story.
2: Well, you know, we look for indelible moments in our life. Sometimes we say to people, you know, in the in the movie of your life, what would the scenes be? And uh, one of my favorite things about crafting a story is going back to those scenes. And then you take that step back. Again, it's about this emotional connection and think, well, why do I keep remembering this? Why is there this, this very small, this seemingly small thing? Like I can tell you when I was a freshman in high school, I was cut from our production of Brigadoon which is so small so tiny but like I could spend the rest of our time together really thinking about why that moment is important and I think really fundamental to who I am today and how it affects many aspects of my life so you start to sort of consider like why do I care why does this come back and you know and why if it keeps coming back like how is it how is it projected into maybe the weeks to follow the months to follow the years to follow etc like how has this really transformed me
1: yeah. And can you talk about some of the exercises you can do to sort of scrounge around in the memory pantry, I think is what you call it. <laughs> yes,
2: yeah, scrounging around in the memory pantry. Well, you know, sometimes it's really helpful to look at photos and to, to jar uh, to jar your memory. Jog your memory? Jar? Maybe both? <laughs> you'll you'll yeah. very aggressively on the, jog yeah. it if you jar it. it. Yes. <laughs> but, you know, it's, you know, looking at photos and sort of describing photos and, and allowing yourself to to be transported back to that time. Um, I also love this idea of thinking about the objects in your life and just sort of thinking about, you know, what what is this like piece of jewelry that I've had for twenty years? Like, why is it that this has not been put in the donation bin? Like, what does this mean to you? What are the things in our lives? Um, and uh, you can think about like just think about fundamental changes in your life. You know, and they can be something as like, it it can be something as simple as, you know, I went to art school and learned how to paint. Okay, so that's a practical change. But then how did that emotionally change you and sort of start to look at those change moments and build that out and look at the scenes around those moments of change in your life?
1: Yeah. We're talking with Kate Teller, Senior Director of The Moth, a storyteller, host, and director of Moth Works at The Moth, and co-author of the new book, How to Tell a Story. And I want to invite you, our listeners, to join the conversation. We'd love to know what makes for a good story for you. What is one thing that you need for it to be a good story? or what's an anecdote that you find yourself telling over and over again or a moment that really sticks with you that you think could be turned into a powerful story you can tell us by calling 866-733-6786 you can post your thoughts on twitter or facebook or instagram we're at kqed forum you can email us forum at kqed.org there was this other piece of audio um, that you shared with us through random house audio that is um, sort of an unexpected event launching off a good story. And I'd like to play it right now. This is a Moth storyteller named Aaron Peng. I'm commuting home from work. And when I walk into BART, um, San Francisco's subway system, I am instantly annoyed because I walk with a cane and I wear leg braces And I notice that the elevators and escalators are out of service, which means that after sitting on my butt in my office for eight hours, I have to start off my commute by walking down three flights of stairs down to the platform.
3: And there's nothing I can do, that's the only option. So I walk up to the mouth of the stairwell and I take a deep breath, because I ain't afraid of no stairs.
1: (laughs) And I put my hands on the inevitably sticky handrail and I begin my descent. Can you talk a little bit about Aaron's story there? I love that.
2: Yeah, I love that story too. I mean, I, I love that moment too, because it's a simple, you know, stories are my life was this and then one day, you know, like that's a wait, stories make extraordinary moments out of ordinary moments. So Aaron is talking about uh, a commute Which would, you know, a commute is something that you do every single day. And then what happens on the one day when all of his means of, uh, you know, getting from A to B in a reasonable way are gone? And how does that kick off the series of events that we then hear about later?
1: Well, Dan writes, to me, a quote story is the telling of real or imaginary events told for entertainment. As the great Irish yarn weaving comedian Dave Allen noted, never let the truth get in the way of a good story. I think of this every time I hear (laughs) actors talk of authenticity in their acting. What are your thoughts?
2: Oh my goodness.
1: Everyone is obsessed with truth. And
2: we are too. The conversations, you know, again, five people uh, with very strong opinions. I had an acting teacher that used to say, speaking of acting, uh, when you play a character, you have to have opinions on parsley. It has to be that specific. And we are five women with opinions on parsley and many things, including truth. And, you know, I th- i think we have to go back to this idea of essentially true. Like what is essentially true to the story? Um, first of all, there are many different genres of storytelling. So of course great I mean I'm, I'm a lover of fiction there are great stories that are made up in our minds of course but in this format in like the spoken word format and specifically and at the moth what we found and what we sort of tried to grow and and specialize is this idea of um, finding the moments that resonate most with you and expressing them in the most truthful way um, and that gets to uh, we have this debate once over the language uh, should a story be honest or feel honest? And what's the nuance in the difference in that? You know, what's the most actual uh, accurate language? Um, So it can be kind of murky, but to us, what resonates most is what feels the most true to the teller.
1: Mm, That's where you landed on that, huh? Mm -hmm. And what does it mean for it to feel true? (laughs) (laughs)
2: Well, I think, you know, I think we've all been in scenarios where we know how we are supposed to feel, you know, it's like on my wedding day. I was supposed to feel completely in love and happy and like it was the best day of my life. This is an abstract. This is not a complaint to my wedding way. You're not. I'm not giving you. You're not the telling the truth right now. Yeah, yeah. I'm. I'm not. I'm, I'm not well, no. I'm, not, I'm, I'm not kidding. Taking us yes. To a dark place for the for the, <laughs> for the meaning for the need to give an example. But I think the more interesting story of a wedding is when it, your wedding day is a, is a feeling of high emotions. So and you probably do feel great moments of love, and then you feel great moments of stress because you see that you know your cousin doesn't have anyone to speak to and then you feel a moment of sadness because you remember that your mother isn't there and then you feel a moment and like that's those are sort of the story worthy moments or where we really look at like the sort of nuance and truth of, of what's happening in a scenario instead of yeah, a kind of one noted what I'm supposed to feel and again it's the when the crafting of the story when you really step back and start to think of it where you really start to discover things and maybe you know when you remember at your wedding that you got sad that your cousin didn't have anyone to speak to you start to think about about how protective you feel about your family and you find the connection to, you know, I've always been like this. I've always felt like I'm the one that has to make sure that my family is the happiness. And that might lead you to another memory about when you weren't able to do that or what have you. You know, it gets you to like the kind of meaty um, uh, uh, pieces of your life that um, reveal something really honest.
1: Yeah. We're talking about the power of storytelling with Kate Tellers, and you, our listeners, can share with us what makes for a good story for you. Jesse writes, I find stories that sound so outlandish that they must have been made up to be the most memorable, but I also love stories that recount the amazing strength of the human spirit. I love having my heartstrings tugged. We'll have more reflections on the power of storytelling after the break. Stay with us, you're listening to Forum. You're listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. We're talking about how and why we tell stories about ourselves with Kate Tellers, co-author of a new book, How to Tell a Story, The Essential Guide to Memorable Storytelling from the Moth. And of course, the Moth is a 25-year organization that has been helping turn people into storytellers. And I want to invite you, our listeners, to tell us What is one thing that makes for a good story for you or if there's an anecdote that you find yourself telling over and over again that you think could be turned into a powerful story? maybe you're anxious or reluctant to tell stories about yourself, or maybe you love it, you can tell us that too. 866-733-6786 is the number. 866-733-6786. Email address forum at kqed.org or post your thoughts on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram at KQED forum. Let me go to a call. Drew in Oakland, join us. Welcome, Drew.
5: Hi, thanks for having me. Sure. So, you know, I am a bartender. I have been time and there is to uh, entertain your guests if that's what they're there for so I find myself telling the same stories over and over again uh, and I have one particular anecdote about when I worked for a company called Party Animals in college and I had to go to children's birthday parties dressed as Winnie the Pooh or Dora the Explorer uh, and it's it's been you know rich territory uh, and every time I tell it I find new ways of delivering and, you know, punchy lines and things. And I'm just curious to the the authors, how do you all workshop stories with your storytellers? Uh, you know, what's the process like finding, should this be a three-minute story, a 15-minute story? Uh, you know, what, what does that look like?
1: Drew, mm, thanks. Kate Tellers? Yeah,
2: Drew, first of all, I think you... You've already unlocked something that is so key to storytelling, which is the idea that you're telling the story. You're being very present when you're sharing your story, so that you're never telling it exactly the same way every time. You know, we're not. Um, uh, every moment is a new moment. So something. So you responding to what feels true to you in the moment, which feels the most compelling is is the mark of a great teller. But our process. So just address, addressing, link, addressing length of time. Um, at the Moth, we have two lengths of stories. We have our open mic story slam series, um, which we have in California as well as mostly in the US, but some cities around the world. And then uh, those stories are five minutes. And then we have our main stage stories, which are the ones that we direct and curate and work with storytellers. And those are 10 to 12 minutes. Great stories can be any length, but those are the Moth lengths of stories. And we do find that you can tell a great story in 10 to 12 minutes and a really significant, impactful story. In to 12 minutes um when we work with storytellers you know one of the greatest things about this art is that we're working with human beings and we're taking them to really vulnerable places so there's no formula per se like some people work from the written page immediately some people really need a conversation many conversations first before they do etc um but simply put once we talk through with a storyteller and get an idea of the story you know what are the scenes what sort of change happens to you in the story can we say tell the story tell your story in one sentence um we will work on a draft most people will write their whole story out and once we've sort of looked at the draft and we're like this this scene works here this works here this works here then people start to I don't want to say um what do people say familiarize like you don't or, or mesmer familiar you know you don't memorize word for word again you become familiar with your story and i always have my storytellers go away from the page and work from beats so i know the first line of my story you know you want a compelling first line and then you know from there i'm going to go to the scene in the garage with my dad. And from there, I'm going to go, I'm going to transition us to the first time uh, I failed my driving test or whatever it is. Um, And then boop, boop, boop until, and then the last line. So that when the teller is telling the story, they're much like you, Drew, they are um, present in the moment. You know, the map of the story, you know, where you need to go, but you're not thinking, do I say, but, or, and there and getting Mm. into your head and disconnecting uh, with your story and therefore your audience.
4: Well,
1: Drew, thanks so much for the call. And well, I want to step back for a second, actually, and just talk about why we tell stories and why they can be so powerful. Uh, At one point, um, you say they decode our histories and decipher our hearts in the book, How to Tell a Story. And I'm wondering if you could explain what that means a little bit, decode our histories and decipher our hearts.
2: Well, it's a very self reflective process to tell a story and you know you are looking back at your past your history and finding like some sort of meaning or logic in it, you know, again, why do these memories stick with me and why do they resonate with me and how do these experiences resonate with me to this day. Um, Something that I love about uh, that that we say about storytelling its part of our mission statement is that um, we celebrate the diversity and the commonality of the human experience. And I think we can look at many people's uh, different experiences, you know, sort of like plot-based experiences, like someone um, who dropped out of med school, someone who immigrated to the United States, someone, et cetera. Um, And maybe we haven't had that exact same experience, but when we look at what's essentially, um, uh, what's humanly true about it, we can find connection there. So there's like looking at events, but then finding out like, what are the human elements? Is there great disappointment? Is there sadness? Is there tremendous joy? Is there um, whatever those feelings are. And we find a connection through others. We find our connection to those pieces. And then in communicating that and communicating that well, we find human connection with other people, because you may not have ever dropped out of med school, but you may know what it's like to not feel like you're enough.
1: Yeah, well, to that point, this listener, Chris writes, stories intimately connect us to one another. My favorite stories are those that challenge our perceptions and stereotypes. Mm-hmm. I am. Um, I want to play another cut. This is one from Trina Marie Robinson from her story Cast in Bronze. We finally get to the homestead where my family were slaves, and we get out of the car, and everything is largely overgrown with wildflowers and tall grass. And Scott, he starts pointing everything out to me, like where the main house used to be, the native grass and plants and trees, and just so I can get an idea of what my family would have seen. And there were these beautiful ancient oak trees and cherry trees and goldenrod.
0: I mean, it was fall, so things were starting to fade,
1: but when they were hit by the sun, they were just so beautiful. I hated it because how could beauty live here? And that's Trina Michelle Robinson. And it's such a powerful story. In this, it reminds me of what you were saying earlier about it's a really intimate process. It can really reveal or lead to realizations about how much something really affects us.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I love that, that Trina pauses and gives space to this very significant moment. But I also love, you know, going back to what we were talking to before is like, there's the broad strokes of how you feel something like we could pause it that we would understand what it would be like for someone to visit the place where her family was enslaved but trina takes us into the real like tension and difficulty of that of reconciling what's uh, what's actually honestly truly happening it is not not all completely ugly there is beauty and that beauty makes it uglier and that to me is so much more interesting than simply saying this was a bad place you know and that scene really magnifies that complex difficult reckoning that she was having
1: yeah in addition to to really making us feel something The scene, the way that she describes and uses the scene, as you say, sort of gives space to the moment. Can Mm -hmm. you talk about scene as another element of a good story?
2: Yes. Oh, I love scenes. Well, you know, let's speak, we'll start at the practical. Scenes are memorable. You know and so it's something that sticks with an audience Um, but scenes are a way to to shine a light like Trina does you just shine a light on a moment this is the way that you tell to say to your audience this is important but they also pace your audience with you you know you could blow through and say um, so then I came home and my mom was really mad and we had a fight and I walked out the door but if you take us, if that fight is something that is truly significant and sort of central to your story, take us in, walk us into the room, tell us how you felt, what did it smell like, what did her face look like, how did you feel, was your body hot, like all of that, then we're in there, we're emotionally engaged, we're in it moment by moment, maybe you started angry, maybe, you know, by the end you felt sad, and we can take that emotional journey at pace with the storyteller, and, you know, storytelling is, is you know, it's such a tool of empathy, and so the scene allows us to really walk in lockstep with the storyteller and, you know, sync up our, our bodies, our brains, our hearts, our minds, you know, with the teller and have a deeper understanding and love for their experience.
1: We're talking with Kate Teller, senior director of the moth and a shout out to moth radio hour, which plays on KQED every Saturday night at nine and Sunday morning at 11. And also a shout out to random house audio uh, for giving us that audio of Trina Michelle Robinson and You listeners, if you want to join the conversation sharing an anecdote or story that you find yourself telling a lot or a moment that stays with you that you think could be turned into a story, feel free, 866-733-6786 is the number to call, 866-733-6786. You can get in touch on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. You can email us, forum at kqed.org. Or if you just want to tell us what you need for something to be a really good story, share that too. Let me go to Julie in Petaluma
0: next. Hi, Julie. Hi there. So I really need help winnowing down my story. Um, Mm -hmm. I have uh, like three different pieces to my Barbara Streisand story. So when I first saw her on the (sighs) Sullivan show, I just fell in love with her. And I vowed that I would see her in person one day. And when I was 18, I found out she was in San Francisco. I was in San Francisco and I crashed the party to meet her. I met her. And then in 1994, I saw her live, and there's this whole crazy business of me buying the worst seat in the house and ending up in the third row behind the mayor of San Francisco and sitting in front of Robin Williams. And then there's when I bought the mug, and then my teenage daughter accidentally broke the mug. So I've got this long story, and in Petaluma, they do something once a month called West Side Stories, and everybody gets a chance to get up and tell the story in five minutes. And I'm having trouble. Whenever I tell the story, people are fascinated, but it goes on and on and on. It's a good 10 minute story. I don't know what to cut out.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Julie. (laughs) (laughs) There's a lot (laughs) there. What do you think, Kate?
2: Well, uh, first of all, I also have a deep love for Barbara Streisand. So I appreciate your story already. Um, You know, this is a sort of kill your darling situation. I think probably what you have is a few stories. And so you have to, and it's heartbreaking and it's so hard. And we talk about this, make critical choices. So you have to like, think about how you would tell your story in one sentence. And what's the story about? With understanding that there's probably a few one-sentence, you know, a few stories in your series of Barbra Streisand experiences, and then I think you have to think really carefully about what the details, um, what what details you're including that support that story that you're going to tell, knowing that pieces of your story that you're so in love with because you're so invested in this story are going to end up on the cutting room floor, but just for this telling. You may tell the story in a different way to a different audience for a different reason, you know, at another time. Um, And then those pieces that you had to edit so sadly come back in. But you wanna think about, you know, how do I communicate to my audience? What's important to me? What scenes um, do I need to include that illustrate the journey that I went on to land where I am um, today? Or at the the end of the stories don't have to end in the present day, the stories need to end when they end, when an arc has been completed, when a change has happened. Um, So it's painful when it's something, an experience that we care so much about, and particularly because you have things that take place over a long swath of time. But you might, to do what I've just asked you to do, want to think about what's the most central scene that I want to, like what's the experience that really changed me, and then add details as needed to support that scene from there.
1: I want to play another cut um, because this is one that really does use details and a central scene really well. It's by storyteller Sean Leonardo, who describes his first night in the ring as a luchador or a, or a wrestler. So let's hear it.
5: The night comes and it's the same rickety ring in some makeshift arena with folding chairs but the lights and the mariachi music is blaring and it feels glorious. And they call out my name and all the blood rushes right out of my body. (laughs) It all becomes a blur. But I pull myself together, I get pumped and I step out In all white and gold, the knight in shining armor with a 14-foot velvet cape. (laughs) I hit that ring, and I'm looking good. And then I get my ass kicked.
1: I mean, the details in that are really Mm -hmm. incredible. And... You know, as I was listening to Julie talk about sort of the the things associated with Barbara Streisand that she wants to talk about, it really feels like by really investing in one scene, you can avoid this sense of like, we move from here and then we move from here. And instead of like the entirety of your whole experience that you think is what makes it interesting, related to Barbara Streisand or whatever the story is, that that really getting into one thing and, and getting into the details in that way is a really effective way to break that up.
2: Oh yes, absolutely. I mean, you know, sometimes we talk about this idea, I mean, yes, to, to, to stay on that 100%, we were all in the ring with Sean. I've never been to a, seen any luchadores live, you know, but I know exactly where I am with Sean when he uses those details and keeps us present in there. Um, you know, a practical thing sometimes is we, we, call it something called a laundry list. You know, you have your scenes and then you have the sort of reflection of your scenes. And then you might have other details that are relevant that you might just have to list out that you can't give the space to. So you know maybe um, you add not that uh, this is the way we heard it, but maybe you met Barbara Streisand five times, but you stay in scene for one of them and then it's a list out. You know, I'd seen her at this, I'd seen her at this, I'd seen her at this, but on this day, and then you shine the light on the most important one. And that really gives that the elevation that it
1: well, Annie writes, at 19, my student film project from, for my Documentary 101 class landed me in a Mexican dungeon charged with being an international communist agitator. It was life-changing, I imagine so, yeah. Annie. Um, it was a long, dramatic story that could be a film. I don't know how to begin to craft it into a public story, but I want to. I'd like advice on how to begin. So we've touched on this, but I don't know if there's anything else you would want to add, you know, for Annie, if there's anything else that comes to mind.
2: I mean, I think, you know, in in this, I'd almost say, like, it sounds like we have a scene scene somewhere here in in this jail. But um, for this, I'd almost say, like, zoom out. How did that experience affect you? Like, how did it change you? And think about that. And again, get to the one sentence of the story. So is it, you know, a young student finds themselves in jail and realizes that what? that their work is really important, that um, they uh, have been, uh, they've been naive with their, um, that, that they didn't really understand what they were trying to say until it was challenged, that what, and then once you have that one s- sentence, you can go back and step in and say, okay, so what are the scenes and details and circumstances that I need to include in this story so that what I want to
1: communicate is clear? Well, Amy writes, years ago, my mom started writing about different aspects of her life, printing it with pictures she'd scanned and putting it into a booklet for us as our annual Christmas gift. They gave me such incredible insight into her life. As I've gotten older, I've started a writing prompts list. I add to the list whenever I think of an epic episode from my life. I love to write, and when I get the urge, I select a prompt and type it up. I've always loved the moth. My goal is to attain that bravery someday. (laughs) Uh, Well, actually, that that reminds me of another question that I had put out to the audience earlier. If you are anxious or reluctant to tell stories about yourself, tell us why, or maybe you love it. Tell us why. Um, We're talking with Kate Tellers a co-author of the new book, How to Tell a Story, senior director of The Moth. And uh, you can join us by calling 866-733-6786, posting your thoughts on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram, or emailing us forum at kqed.org. I'm Nina Kim. Stay with us. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. We're talking about stories, how to uncover and craft stories about ourselves, how to decode our histories and decipher our hearts, all because The Moth has a new book out, How to Tell a Story, The Essential Guide to Memorable Storytelling from The Moth by authors Meg Bowles, Catherine Burns, Jennifer Hickson, Sarah Austin Janess, and Kate Tellers. And Kate Tellers is with me now. Kate Tellers is also the senior director of the moth and a storyteller host and director of moth works at the moth as well you our listeners are sharing what makes a good story for you an anecdote that you find yourself telling over and over again whether or not you like telling stories about yourself and any other reflections that are coming to mind nancy is on the line nancy thanks so much for calling
0: thank you i love the moth so much and definitely fantasize about getting up the courage to craft a story someday <laughs> Um, what I found is that in all the experiences that I think of that are compelling that would um, be important to share, they, they really are stories I haven't told and that would end mm-hmm. up feeling con- confessional. And um, I wonder for people maybe who have had that same experience, has there been a struggle, has there been regret even um, in sharing some, some of the personal things that, um, that they may have shared? Thanks again for your work and I look forward to reading the book.
1: Wow, thank you, Nancy.
2: Kate? Nancy, thank you for sharing. Um, my sincere hope with this book is that it um, uh, inspires people to share their stories and make them realize that their stories are important. Um, we dedicated this book to the untold stories in all of us and I and I believe with my whole heart and body that, that um, we are better when we share our stories when we're ready to share them. So Nancy, to answer your question, I mean, at The Moth, when you work with a director, part of our job is to help people tell honest, vulnerable stories, but to also sense if they're not ready to tell them. We had a joke years ago that, um, you know, time needed to pass after a bad thing. And we said, you know, a year after a divorce and 10 years after a death. And then the joke was actually after talking to a therapist, it's a year after a death and 10 years after a divorce. Um, but there's actually no scientific math to when you're ready to share some of your stories. Um, And that's different and unique and individual to everyone. Um, So sure, I'm sure there have been people that have felt like they shared too much, oh no, too quickly, too soon. And I think we talk in the book about really analyzing when you're ready to share your story. But I find that for a lot of people, because storytelling is so much about connecting with an audience and sharing an audience and being heard, that sometimes sharing a story makes someone feel Um, that thing that I felt shame about that thing that I felt so sad about, I suddenly feel less alone because 10 people, 100 people, 2000 people heard it and felt that experience with me, or I shared my story. And then someone from the audience came up and said, you know what? I had that same experience, or I felt the same way, you know, and suddenly what has been so dark or hard or sad for you, um, is a catalyst for a connection.
1: I loved the, um, the anecdote about the neuroscientist who found that the brain activity of a teller and the listener start to meld when they were looking at brain scans. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I mean, you really do synchronize, um, you know, there's the science behind it. And Wendy Suzuki goes into that is that our brains start to like sort of fire in the same way when we are engaged with a story. I mean, how cool is that, that you're, that, that you are like, controlling brains in a room or connecting with brains in a room my co-authors tease me because this is what I always say and it made it in the book but I always say the best moth nights is where it feels like the entire room is breathing the same breath that's what I felt the first time I went to the moth in 2007 I had never and this is someone that comes from theater on stage and off stage you know audience member and person on stage I had never felt the connection in the room that I felt in that night where it really does feel like we're all breathing together. Our hearts are beating the same way. Our minds are firing in the same way. And there's, I mean, just nothing more extraordinary to me than that.
1: What is one thing you do tell someone who's really nervous or anxious about getting on stage to do their story? Well,
2: (laughs) uh, the really practical thing um, (laughs) that I tell people is that most likely after you tell your story, you'll still be alive. You know, like it'll be over and then you'll still be alive. But to to deliver the story well, you know, I don't think we just want to blast out a story and then keep our heart beating at the end is that, um, you know, there's the practical thing of taking a breath before you start to speak to sort of calm yourself and center yourself, drink water so that you, uh, because obviously when we're nervous, our mouths get dry. Um, We have a a standing microphone to ground people, to give you somewhere to stand. And then fundamentally, like, remember that people, you know, people gather to hear other people, you know, whether that's a moth night, whether that's at work in a business presentation, whether it's a eulogy or a wedding toast. And we are all human beings with hearts and minds, and we connect to good stories. We crave it wherever we are. Um, So giving thought to a compelling story and sharing it with someone is a generous act. And what you're doing is a generous act and has the potential to do really great things.
1: Yeah, you're really making me think about how often we are actually called on to tell stories about ourselves like in a job interview so that we can get hired or you know when we're writing our resume and or cover letter, right? Yeah. Oh,
2: absolutely. You know, the book, uh, obviously we're all moth people, but when we were writing the book and we prepare people to tell stories on the stage, when we were writing the book, we really had all these interesting conversations about all of the ways in which stories show up in our lives and can magnify and make our lives better. And so we have so many examples in the book of practical things to think about when you're telling a story on a date, when you're giving a eulogy, when you're giving a big business presentation, you know, how do you think about story in that context and how do you make yourself better through story? Um, and think about the stories that might be the ones that you can use to connect with people.
1: One of the rules that the moth has is to, to avoid using other people as props when you tell Mm -hmm. stories. What does that mean?
2: Well, um, We are the owners of our own experiences. We don't own other people's experiences. And so we need to speak for ourselves and not for other people. But that also speaks to this fundamental idea of of respect, is that no human being is a prop. A a human being is another human being with their own set of you know, heartbreaks and joys and happinesses and sadness. And um, so we need to show in our story the respect for the human beings in the world around us that we would offstage in any other action. our truth is our truth but it is only ours um it is only ours to share
1: well this listener writes what i love most about the moth is the fact that i listen rather than read the stories this listener is susan i'm curious does one write differently depending on the sense used to hear the story i generally think that listening rather than reading offers a different dimension
2: Oh yes, we do write and, and speak differently. Um, is that that's the question about writing and speaking or writing and listening,
1: reading um, and listening? I think it's like writing to to for something that's going to be listened to. Sorry, they just pulled the comment down. So um, writing okay, to listen, yes. Yeah,
2: yes, that is that is what I heard, and then I said yes myself. Okay, great. Um, yeah, and so that's one of the reasons that I was saying in our process is that we write the story out. And then we want people to get off of the page and tell it. And it's never what it was on the page, or I shouldn't say never, it is usually not exactly what it was on the page, exactly for that, even if you have a conversational writing style. Um, And that's why you wanna get to the beats of the story and sort of chat it out. There's really small things, we talk about this in the book, that we've noticed make things, what what we say, um, quote, feel written. Like um, people will, uh, when you're writing, sometimes you'll say, uh hello he said whereas if you're telling a story you need to tell people before they hear it that someone is speaking so you'd say he said hello i said hello you know like just little things like that that you would never really kind of think about um until you started to hear a story will will make the difference between how we might write a story and how we might speak a story
1: yeah yeah let me go to mark in dublin hi mark
5: Hi. Just to re-encapsulate uh, what you guys just said, one of the uh, the easier ways to be interesting is to be interested, and then a lot flows from that. My story involved an interaction I had with a patient of mine, and this was the so-called legendary Skid Row pianist Ervin Narachazi. Now, the way I happened to know who he was was one day in college, I was walking past a uh, a friend's open door, and then there was, you know, TV was on. I heard this amazing piano uh, being played, and I kind of wandered in, and I caught about, I don't know, uh, you know, 50% of the, the documentary about this amazing person. And his story is basically he was a child prodigy from Hungary who came to the United States, um, looking forward to having this wonderful concert career, and then because of his eccentric personality and uh, other issues, wound up being blackballed, and couldn't uh, you know get any uh, standing concert gigs. No manager wanted to to to, uh, to hire him. And one day he you know he he makes his way to San Francisco in the uh, in the 1960s and 70s. And he supports himself uh, occasionally by uh, playing the piano. And one of these performances was uh, was seen and recorded by a representative of the International Piano Archives. And this is how he kind of came back to to public attention. And um, so anyway, I so I knew the basic outline of the story. And uh, one day, I'm, I'm going through my list of patients uh, in, in the hospital. This was Kaiser, Los Angeles, where I was a surgical resident. And I see this very weird-looking name. I, I had never seen his name in print before, and I'm looking at it. You know, It's N-Y-E-R-A-G-Y-A-Z-I, something like that, impossible to pronounce. You know, so I introduced myself, and I asked him, sir, how do you pronounce your name? Uh, and he said, oh, Nirachazi. And I said, oh, you mean like the pianist? And he said, I am the pianist.
1: Oh, wow. That is quite a story. Sorry to cut you off there, Mark, but we are coming closer to the end of the hour. So, um, But but that that sounds like the makings of a really great story. Though in that story, I was just thinking as I was listening to it and your point about um, sort of thinking about how we experience something, the effect that something has on us. It's sort of what we're hungry for, right? Even mm-hmm. in hearing Mark's retelling.
5: Mm-hmm.
2: You know, absolutely. At many other doctors in that, there would be a different story depending on wh- what doctor was in that room, you know, because the story here is about the experience, the relationship that we have with, that you have with this patient. So the, the like sort of meeting guts is, okay, so for someone who actually recognizes the name and then what does that mean? Are you, are you, uh, stunned are you starstruck are you flabbergasted are you emotionally invested you know that's where we build the story out from what happens when on a routine piece of your job you are you come face to face with someone you've admired for years and years and years
1: we're talking with kate tellers storyteller host and director of mothworks at the moth and co-author of the new book how to tell a story the essential guide to memorable storytelling from the moth and you are listening to forum i'm mina kim let me get to a couple of other comments here uh angela writes my daughters 12 and 14 love to write stories but they hardly ever finish their stories they find (laughs) the resolution and the ending very challenging how do you get to a story's end Mm.
2: a lot of the time the ending is sometimes uh, a little bit later in the drafting process i find this is pretty normal like because the ending almost can crack the story. Like once you start to think about, well, what did this experience mean to me? Um, And do I end the story a day after it happened, three weeks after it happened, 10 years after it happened, you know, like what's the arc of the story that I'm trying to tell? So oftentimes on the page, when people are doing that initial sort of write out, people won't land on an ending and then they'll tell the story. And the first thing to do is you like almost fall off the cliff, like just tell it until you stop talking. And then that's the first draft of your ending. And then now we'll go back and look at all the pieces of the story and think about, well, is that really where you landed? Or how can we tighten that? How can we make the ending of the story ultimately needs to be uh, uh, relate to the beginning of the story? So, okay, now we know generally where you might want to end. So let's look at how we begin the story. And then how does the beginning affect the ending? How does the ending affect the, the beginning? And you sort of tinker and tinker until it feels like you're you know, landing the spaceship or sticking the... The ending as a gymnast, you know, within
1: a routine. Well, this listener writes. I write memoir and creative nonfiction, and one method I really like using is telling the story in second person. Like, you can't mm-hmm. remember what you were wearing, but you remember you were angry. It really changes the tone and delivery of the story. What are your thoughts on the use of second person for telling personal stories?
2: So um, I find it as it can be a useful exercise to get perspective, like step outside of yourself and see if the way you see yourself and the way you experienced it, like what's at odds. Um, But in first person storytelling, I find that it, when people go to the second person, it is often a way to emotionally distance themselves. Like I'll find if a, a storyteller is telling a harrowing story, they'll begin in first person. And then when they get to the really hard part, they'll be like, you know when you see x happen you feel y you know and that's like that that's that's the sign that you're at an emotionally hot place and if you're willing to go there then that's where the story should be expanded and if you're not willing to go there maybe we go back to what we're thinking about like maybe you're not ready to tell the story or um maybe that's not a piece that should be included at least in the story that you're telling so i would say for final final first person telling, I I, I the final story sharing, I always go to first
1: person. Let me go to David in Mountain View. Hi, David. Hello. How are you? Good. I'm going to try to squeeze you in here. So go right ahead.
5: Okay. I'm going to be really quick. Um, So I used to be a general manager of Rooster Teeth Feathers Comedy Club in Sunnyvale, California back in the late 90s, early 2000s. And I heard lots of stories being told. But at the same time, in the early 90s, I was a door-to-door salesman traveling the country selling magazines. <laughs> and I experienced a lot of things from being thrown out of town, being arrested, uh, excuse me, for a naked lady in a wheelchair, and a lot of things. I'm trying to figure out how to con- figure out how to be concise about all those stories I had on the road.
1: Mm. All right. Uh, and even get started, I imagine, with all those different types of stories, Kate Tellers.
2: Yeah, I mean, it feels to me like this isn't necessarily, I mean, this could be a book, but I think in terms of like creating one story, um, I think you just want to zoom into like, what was the most memorable of those experiences? And then how do you frame that and come to understand it? And that will probably bring up some bigger overarching scenes that will uh, connect to and maybe inform the way you tell the other stories. But it feels to me um, like you might have a couple of stories there. And I would start with like, if, if I had to edit everything else out, what's the one scene I would keep and then build from there?
1: Well, this listener asks, why is it suggested to not write the stories down first?
2: Well, we do encourage that you write them down first. It's, we just don't get married to that at all. Um, and you want to come naturally, you know, sometimes writing it down, you get lost in the act of writing and you want to get to the emotional truth. So chat it out, chat it out, think about what you have, write it, and then do not marry that draft. <laughs> You know, like then work from there, whether, you know, first maybe by by revising what's written and then ultimately by taking what's written as the inspiration for the the way that you'll verbally tell.
1: I'm really struck that it's the 25th anniversary of the moth and just listening to you talk about all the things, the advice that you're giving, just would love to get any reflections that you might have about kind of where the moth is, what it's become um, based on what it sought out to do initially. Yeah,
2: I mean, we were started in a living room in the Lower East Side of New York City, um, in a vibrant, uh, with a vibrant community of storytellers. And what we've been able to do is we've been able to become a a global force for storytelling. And now that we have these platforms, podcast, radio, book, um, shows all over the world, we have the opportunity to engage with new communities and new populations, uh, to hear more stories that inform our own worldview, that ignite more curiosities about other people's experiences. So as we look forward, we're really just so eager to hear and discover new stories and to use all of this, you know, heft and elbow grease that we put into things to discover the new stories in the
1: world. Kate Teller, Senior Director of The Moth, also co-author of the new book, How to Tell a Story, The Essential Guide to Memorable Storytelling from The Moth. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. And my thanks also to Susie Britton for producing today's segment. And my thanks to our listeners for sharing your stories today and so many days. They mean so much to us at Forum. I'm Mina Kim.